listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Epidemic Sound, the company reimagining music licensing for the digital age. Epidemic's library contains tens of thousands of tracks that you can license a la carte or on a subscription basis. Unlike other music licensing companies, Epidemic Sound owns its entire catalog and makes tracks available via one straightforward license to cover all your needs, worldwide and in perpetuity. No more headaches around usage reporting, performance royalties, or murky rights ownership. It's better for the artists and better for you, the creator. So whatever your music needs, Epidemic Sound has got you covered. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guests are John Atanasio and Luisa Huang, co-founders of Toonstar. John and Luisa, welcome to the show. Hi, James. Hi, James. Great to be here. Yep, thanks for having us. Of course. So excited you guys are here. Let's start at the beginning. How did you two originally meet? We met at, uh, at Warner Brothers. So we're alumni of the, the studio system, we like to say. And uh, I was at my background, I was at Warner Brothers. Prior to that, I was at DreamWorks. And Luisa, we met at Warner Brothers. Before that, she was at, at Disney for yes. a number of years. She survived the, the mouse house, <laughs> I like to say. <laughs> I did. Yes. And we, and so, so we were actually part of a team. We're in the digital media group at Warner Brothers. It was a really interesting opportunity. We were doing a lot of uh, experimental work, really at the intersection of technology and media. And we were experimenting with everything from like, you know, early days of the MCN space to um, other ways to try to build IP and franchises out of the, you know, mobile and, and digital media. We also part of some other initiatives. We're part of a thing called Media Camp, which was, uh, which was Warner Brothers Tech Accelerator. Um, we also were part of, we started an incubator at Warner Brothers. So, so a lot of the, you know, a lot of this innovation work. And, uh, we're on a team that got to do a lot of this kind of experimentation. And that's, that's how we, we met and, uh, worked on some, uh, some pretty cool projects. Very cool. How did you get involved in the accelerator initiatives? So we were part of the digital strategy group, uh, under, leadership of uh, Thomas Gwecki, who's now the chief digital officer at Warner Brothers. And, and that was really kind of one of the things that he was spearheading is this you know group that was heading up media camp. And they looked for people from within the um, studio organization to really work and partner with the media tech industry. And, and the idea was to be able to to bring in and collaborate with technologists to really think about or rethink about um, the media landscape and how does a company um, and a studio at that large scale participate or um, you know help shape the the future of of digital media. So, what were some of the projects that originally inspired you during that time? What were you seeing you know, at the intersection of technology and new media? Yeah, so. It was it was really interesting because we were seeing things that helped us form a, you know our thesis for for our own our own company. But really, what we were noticing and and it, it did start with a thesis around we, we call it mobile snackable and, and interactive. And what we were noticing is in in the digital digital media space, there was this this move to to mobile consumption. I think now that's obviously you know obviously widely known and accepted. You rewind. You know, four or five plus years ago is kind of a, a newer trend. Um, so we saw that consumption happening. We also, being at Warner Brothers, uh, Cartoon Network is, is part of the same family. So we saw some of the challenges that Cartoon Network was facing in terms of linear consumption. 
we also noticed when you're looking at the, at the mobile space that a lot of the content being consumed is super snackable. So a lot of short form, even, you know, now they're different terms like nano, nano content, micro content. Uh, but we noticed that this, this trend of, you know, the, the content being consumed is very snackable. And then the third part of what we recognize is this idea of interactive and interactive meaning that, you know, it wasn't in mobile. It wasn't a lean back experience. It was very much a lean forward experience. And when we say interactive, there's a spectrum of that. So it could be, you know, everything from just, you know, commenting, sharing, liking something to actually doing a remix of a piece of content to, you know, the other end, you know, the other full sort of end of the spectrum where you're doing a completely new piece of content from, from scratch. So it's sort of like, but you're sort of starting with something that you know and like, but you take that and kind of do your own version of it. So really, you know, that'd be like UGC. Um, so those, those are the behaviors that we saw in, in the mobile space, which really kind of caught our attention. It occurs to me that the traditional studio system is not attuned to pursue those types of short form mobile interactive content, right? The cycle times are very long to create IP. The costs are very expensive in order to do so. They're positioned to churn out premium IP, big blockbuster temple franchises, right? So were you seeing them being proactive in starting or getting involved in these incubator programs to help new media companies or what was the approach? Yeah, I think there, that there was definitely an interest in trying to get involved and, and also to help these like uh, emerging media companies and and then also like em, emerging media tech companies to to move in that direction. The the challenge really is just um, just the way that you know structurally how the creation process works in the studio system and because it's structured the way that it is, it is very difficult for for them to move as quickly into the short form space, into the um, into the mobile media space. And then finally, just from even like a content and storytelling standpoint, it's fundamentally different. Like if you think about, you know, dialing it all the way to, you know, Vine, right? Like there's just this like, and, and we talk to creators all the time, like even in the um, creator, you know, influencer digital media world, they'll talk about the differences between like a Vine creator and a YouTube creator. The storytelling and the way that they approach thinking about content is fundamentally different because to tell a six second story is just vastly different from telling a, you know, three minute story. Like three minute story seems super long form if you compare it to that six seconds. And so, and you know, then, then you bump that up against the studio system that's used to making a movie that, movies that are actually just getting longer and longer. You know, it's it's like going from, epic storytelling to now you have six seconds, it's just hard to condense. And I think this, that's why the category is just very, very difficult to crack. And just even, you know, production times, because it's six seconds, the output and the volume of content needs to be, you know, super high because, because of the consumption of how consumers are just going through and and just kind of binging on that kind Mm -hmm. of content. So given the sheer volume of content through digital and the more choices available to consumers, do you think that the future franchises, the big IP of tomorrow is going to be discovered through digital or is there still a place for the traditional studio system? We do believe that the future franchises, the future IPs will emerge from the digital ecosystem because there's something about the frequency in which you know things and characters and stories are, are served up to consumers that just give it that advantage. And, and I think that that's, 
probably, you know, true in the case for, for, you know, IP before actually, like the things that have become IP, like they, they've had opportunities to be able to touch people and reach people um, with more frequency. It's not just one single movie that made any one of these franchises. It's really this, you know, arguably like, dialing to my days of Disney, like it's not that toy story, that one movie kind of like all of a sudden made this indelible sort of moment in kids' lives. It's that you saw Toy Story and then you trip over all the toys in the stores and you take one of the toys home and then you play with it and then they have yeah. books and then they have, you know, everything. It's like you, you turn around and there's Buzz, there's Woody. That's actually what makes that, you know, kind of like indelible mark. And and I think, you know, like people sort of like overlook or maybe maybe it hasn't like necessarily, you know, kind of been thought about in that way. But but all of those movies, even though there were like one single like movies, there have been so much like other content or forms of like exposure that cause that like, you know, kind of franchise to be manufactured. So we believe that in the digital space, the advantage is that we can serve things up to be people with higher frequency and higher volume. And, and as such, it's going to be, you know, something that's going to create new franchises and it's going to create, you know, stories and characters that people are going to look back and they're going to say, yes. Oh yeah. I, I discovered that online. Yeah. I mean, I, the next thing I wanted to ask you about is the fact that the motion picture business these days is more about selling consumer products and tickets to theme parks <laughs> than it is about actually putting butts in seats in movie theaters. Yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, yeah. if they're living and dying by these temple franchises, right? we've got Star Wars right now, which has done more in an opening weekend than uh, Justice League does in a month. What effect is that having on, say, independent film, right? right. What, what does that mean? Is right. that going to get squeezed out of the studio and theatrical release system? Or does that push it just onto digital channels? We see happening is, is a bit of a bifurcation. So it is just what you're talking around about in terms of, you know, the, the studio business is a hits, it's a hits driven business. We saw it firsthand, you know, working at, at some of the, some of the biggest studios and a part of it's because they're just the, their infrastructure, they're just like, that's what they're, they're built to do. So, you know, for us, you know, and, and you, to your other question too about like, you know, what role will studios play? I think studios will still have a play, they still have a role clearly in, in the ecosystem, but probably more from a scale perspective. So I think the way we envision part of what we're trying to build is almost like an engine for IP. It starts out of mobile and from there you can scale it and you can turn it into fran franchise properties. So studios is still going to be hit driven. Um, you're going to have those fran franchise properties. They, you know, release X number and they know that one or two are going to hit. Um, and those are kind of the winners. And then the question is, where where does the the smaller sort of productions, the independent stuff, where does that where does that come from? Mm -hmm. And I I don't know. I think I think it is a good question. Like I think the I think that is probably you know TBD right now because there probably is a opportunity in the market for where where is that going to come from and who is you know who is going to be the one that sort of supports that that tier and what you probably, and we've already seen this happening, the stuff in the middle is, is probably what you're going to see less of. So maybe, you know, the productions that are lower budget and sort of like more independent type productions, and even, even the definition of like an independent production, it can range. Then you've got like sort of micro productions and things like the kind of stuff that we do, which are, you know, sort of like super micro productions, 
And then you've got the tentpole stuff and, it, and it's those things in the middle that maybe you just, you know, you won't see many of those types of productions. Mm-hmm. And now even more people are getting into the content game, right? Yeah. Think about tech yeah. giants and yeah. Netflix is funding content. Apple's right. funding content. Yeah. Yeah. Amazon Studios won three Oscars last year, right? Yeah. We forget about the fact that they're uh, emerging as really big players in the media and entertainment space. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, there's never, you know, we talk about there's never been a better time actually to be in the content space right now, because I think, you know, for a while, I would say, what, five, six years ago, there was all this like mad rush of like, most important thing is to be a platform, right? And so we saw this like huge surge in in, in platforms and OTTs and everybody was building their own platform, right? Like yeah. you wanted to have a way to reach the consumer. And then with those platforms, you know, once they got built and everyone's sort of like looking at each other, like, awesome, we built a platform, like, let's go people come on to the platform. And and then you start to realize like, oh, wait a minute, you got to have content. And then there was this like, all right, yeah. everyone's just like mad acquisition for content. And there was really like, in terms of like content catalog out there, you know, there's really it's finite. And then you started seeing that almost everything from a consumer standpoint that you subscribe to, you're actually watching the same things, right? So everyone's got relatively similar catalogs. Um, whether it's like you go to Amazon, you go to Hulu, mm-hmm. or you go yeah. to Netflix, they sort of had like similar back catalog type of stuff. And then like on the surface, it was just depends on like who got whatever deal that, you know, gave them an earlier window. So that, yeah. that was kind of what was happening. And then everyone realized that, you know what, we've got to be getting into making content, like people have got to have new content, differentiated content. And, and so if you like in recent news, actually, with Bob Iger talking about the Fox acquisition, his point of view was that there are more buyers in the marketplace than ever before. And that's why he wants to, you know, get into another type of production, which is really more of what Fox does, which is the live action stuff. So so I think there's a general point of view that there's a lot of demand for content in, in, you know, whether it's more kind of like content for premium, you know, channels or content for digital channels. There's just consumers want content because only through content are you going to really be able to get people's attention and eyeballs and more specifically video, video content. Like you look at things like Facebook, even Facebook is doubling down and saying we, you know, it's video. Like it's not, you know, it, it's not enough to just have a meme. It's not enough to just have, you know, a funny sketch. Like we got to have video. So you two are longtime veterans of the studio system. You saw all these changes happening. What inspired you to launch Toonstar? How did the business come about? It was a couple things. So so part of it went to the thesis that that we, you know, things we observed being in the, you know, the, the sort of the, the digital media group and experimenting with the, on the projects that we were working on. So part of it was like that mobile snackable interactive thesis where we're like, wow, there's a real opportunity. There's a, there's a sea change in the way that content's being consumed. That was kind of the first part of it. The second part of it was animation. And, you know, we're, you know, part of it's, part of it's a personal thing too. So we're, we're fans of animation. We grew up um, children of Saturday morning cartoons we also, you know, have my brother's, a, he's a, he's a cartoonist. So 
Um, I grew up going to Comic-Con before anybody knew what Comic-Con was. So, so we're definitely fans of, of the animation category. And when you look at mobile, really it, there's a gap when it comes to animation. And there's a reason for that because animation historically takes a lot of time and it's, and it's expensive to do. So there is a reason there's a gap with mobile and animation, but because there's a gap, that's where we think there's a real opportunity to, to really approach animation in, in a very different way. So, you know, I think it was a combination of those things where we sort you know, we saw the opportunity in mobile. We saw these new consumption patterns with audiences that were very different than the stuff we see with like linear. And then we also noticed that animation was, you know, this, this, this gap. And I think that sort of prompted this question of like, well, gee, what would the next gen cartoon network look like? And, you know, coming from Warner Brothers and, and sort of being part of the family of brands they had, that was sort of, you know, the starting point because we saw what was happening with that business. And we're like, gee, if you were to launch a cartoon network today, we think it would look very different. And it would look like, you know, what we talk about, like mobile snackable interactive and really try to imagine it in that way. So I think that was the, that was kind of the, the yeah. Insp- yeah, the inspiration. That was the, the, the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And not only are you the content creator, but you've also built this tech platform that enables anyone to live stream as a cartoon character. Right. So talk a little bit more about the technology thesis and, and how that through line got inserted into the business. Sure. So as we started tackling the animation space, you know, looking at, well, you know, one of our first goals was, you know, looking at traditional animation, like how do you really, you know, start tightening up so that you can get, you know, producing faster and faster and cheaper so that it would be able to kind of live right alongside the type of content that kids were watching and consuming on YouTube, right? And and the advantage of YouTube and what they've done for creators is like, hey, if you have a camera phone, maybe some video, you know, editing equipment, you can create content. And so it allowed for a voice of a generation to, to really, you know, like reach out to others. And, and so it, it really just kind of spawned this like new subset of creators. And I just remember that, you know, growing up, I watched cartoons all the way up until I was like, you know, embarrassingly, probably I shouldn't admit to this, but I, I think I watched cartoons all the way up until like, you know, 14, 15 years old. That, and is, that is embarrassing. <laughs> that's, that's embarrassing. <laughs> okay. I will admit to it. It's okay. Yeah. I don't mind that. I did not know that. Uh, <laughs> so I don't share things with you. So, so I, and then, and if you look at like animated content today, it's like they, they, they stop making things like animation is hugely, you know, bifurcated now. You either have animation that, hits kids all the way up to like they talk about probably kids by the age of like eight, seven, eight years old, they stop watching. I mean, even that might be like a little old, but, but seven or eight. And then there's this huge gap. And then maybe like the super duper, like fans of animation will start watching animation again, but like in their twenties, right. Like consuming things um, that are more like the Bojack Horseman's and, you know, like the type of fare that comes out of Netflix. And so like, well, what's, what's happening to the in-between? Like, 
you know, there's this adage in the, in the kids space and the toy space where they're like, oh, well, kids are, you know, getting older faster, right? Like they're like, well, a nine-year-old is like the equivalent of a 16-year-old way back when. And you're like, whoa, like, how is this even like physically and biologically possible? Like, is this true? And so when we were testing, like a lot of this is we started, we actually started by releasing short form, like super snackable animated content onto um, social platforms like um, Netflix and Musical.ly at the time too. And Musical.ly was really kind of like that space where you saw a lot of like 12, 13 year olds. And what happened was we saw like, wait a minute, they loved animation. They thought it was super cute, super funny because the content was being delivered to them, you know, in a platform that they were like super excited about, right? They were congregating and sharing with their friends and, and they, they were like, wow, this is super fresh content. Like I, an animated character yeah. is so great. Like they're, they're just like having a lot of fun with these animated characters and personas. And then that's where we started, you know, really digging deep and challenging ourselves. And that was at the time when also like these, these live streaming personalities were getting, you know, really, really like a lot of attention, a lot of traction. And, and we were like, wow, like it wouldn't be great to be able to have this animated character talk to the kids and interact with the kids. Like that would be just like next level awesomeness. And then there was like a lot of like, well, how do you do that? It's impossible. There's no way you couldn't do that with the animation. And we just started experimenting with the tools that we had and started like doing these like, you know, odd hacky things of like, well, if we, if we just like cheated and like do these like characters in different poses, like, could we make it look like it's animating in real time? And then, you know, we also, we're super fortunate to have um, a brilliant, you know, uh, technologist working with us, uh, Max, who we actually met through Media Camp. And he just, he just went to tinkering and then he would come back with like, you know, well, here's, here's a version and like an earlier version. It just like, you know, kind of looked like it was moving, but then it wasn't. And we just started, you know, tooling more and more and, and really kind of thinking about, well, how do you utilize technology but then still kind of like keep and preserve this you know, 2D and, um, animation style and marry the two philosophies together to create this like new idea of live character, you know, streaming. And, and that's, you know, I remember like we cracked the code one day where he came back and, and he's like, look, like this character. And again, it was like super, you know super rudimentary then but he showed us um he showed us this like you know very simple thing where the character was moving its head blinking and speaking right along as i was doing it and we were like wow like this is like we saw that and we're like this is something like this is something that's going to change the way that we're going to be able to create cartoons and deliver cartoons and and that was really kind of where it took off yeah it's it's a really it's a really interesting combination of creative and, and technology because one one thing we we've learned over time is that there what, what this is what the tech is doing is basically enabling real time rendering, you know, which from a efficiency standpoint is great because now you've got basically real time animation that you can do. So going back to the the challenge of animation it takes a long time. And is, is traditionally very expensive. Now you're talking about a, a tool that can animate quickly. So now it becomes a more efficient process. But another byproduct of that is 
we've noticed that that audiences love this notion of like pop culture with with cartoons. And you know, if you think about some of the most popular cartoons, a lot of them have been the ones that have been able to sort of thread pop culture into into the narrative, right? So think about Simpsons and sort of what they do with pop culture. Think about South Park and kind of what they do with pop culture. So this technology actually is enabling that where you can take things that maybe are trending or or just sort of like ideas or topics of the day and bring that into the narrative, whether it's a character you sort of design for that or whether it's a story that comes from that particular character. And that really resonates with the audiences that we see. And then also it really resonates in mobile media because so much of mobile media is kind of based on information and based on you know, things that are sort of very topical. Mm-hmm. So that, that was kind of like a really interesting byproduct that we saw from, you know, from what the tech could do. Wow. So you saw that number one, animation is underserved because of the cost and the time involved. You identified that there's a specific age audience segment that's especially underserved because Large players are still producing content for kids, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, yeah. zero yeah. to call it seven or eight years old. Yeah. Then you've got the South Parks, the Bojack Horsemen's, the Rick and Morty, but it's more premium content right. Uh, right. for adults. That's, that's right. right. And so what's what's left for teens and tweens? Nothing, right? It's right. just kind of assumed that they've aged out of animation. And yet right. we see that there's that's right. an appetite for it. Right. So right. creating technology and facilitating that and then introducing the elements of social commentary and having fun with these characters, mm-hmm. but at a, at a younger age, giving yes. that power yeah. to that, that, that uh, sweet spot demographic. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing we've noticed too, it's really opened up, it's opened this, opened up this idea for a notion, what we call a tune influencer. So this idea that, you know, you look at social media, you look at mobile media and you see influencers and the impact they've had on, you know, everything from, you know, two topics to, to, to brands, to, you know, to just, celebrity in general and we've had a great response from the influencer community and people and and talent that look at this and say oh wow that's amazing because i have a character in my head that i would love to bring to life as a cartoon and i would love to be able to live stream to my fans as a cartoon or i would love to be able to give my fans the ability to take that cartoon and create their own like ugc content with with that with that particular character so it's a really interesting sort of thing that's happened and that also plays back into this notion of kind of like pop culture and this gives you know these influencers a chance to become two influencers and sort of share their stories as a cartoon character which is which which is really interesting and we see we see that working really well with audiences. Is that the behavior you anticipate long-term that it's going to be uh, driven around these two influencers or is it going to be more, I'm creating content, sharing it with just my friends or community or I know that you guys are working on some premium partnerships as well. Mm-hmm. How do you think about UGC for a small audience, UGC for a big audience versus the premium stuff? Mm-hmm. So the way that we are, we're thinking about UGC is... Where we've seen UGC be most successful is when they're they're almost like very specific prompts and very specific reasons to create. Mm -hmm. So where there is a brand or a character that they know and love and, you know, the the character gets they, they get access to the character to be able to almost kind of like make little fan fiction skits where they're taking that persona and being able to play with that persona to, you know, maybe like, you know, imagine their own versions of stories with known characters. 
makes a lot of sense because we see that behavior um, just organically coming out of like, you know, the fan fiction world, right? So, so people want to create with characters that they already know and love. The other side is when there is a very specific prompt for creation, um, whether it's like, you know, you're sponsoring a contest, maybe it's not a, a character that is super well known, but then what you're doing is you're saying, okay, the call to action is this is how you create and this is the output that we're looking for. And there's a very like, you know, narrow range so that they can add flair, but without being almost kind of like overwhelmed with the creation process. And, yeah. and I think that's really kind of the sweet spot that we're looking to create for UGC. There's going to be, you know, the, the super premium, you know, branded um, partnerships that we have. And then the two influencers that, that really kind of like have a very distinct point of view about who their characters are and, and what kind of content they, they want to create for those kinds of partnerships. It's, it's very, you know, it, it's a different track because you are already building on top of a story that's like, you know, they have a point of view where the creators have a point of view yeah. about story. But um, where it comes to UGC, it really makes more sense to, you know, take a little bit more guided approach because part of the creation process is the satisfaction of knowing your output is also, you know, something that somebody wants to consume. And, and that's where we want to be able to say, you know, to users to say, hey, come and create, but the thing that you're going to output when once you share it is also going to have like a very, you know, positive reaction because, you know, there's a certain formula to content creation that, you know, needs yeah. to kind of be there for the output to be something that, you know, somebody gets. Like content creation isn't just, you know, despite what some people might say, you know, there is actually um, there is actually a process to content creation and there is actually an art to it. And it's very much something that's learned. Um, it's not just that, you know, everybody's just going to be like, "Woo, I can, you know, create yeah. awesome content and yeah. and there's, you know, nothing to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that like that's that, that's a conversation we have often. And, and it really like, you know, we, we see it as we see it as an ecosystem and it is an ecosystem with creators, you know, creators, characters, and fans. And, you know, we envision what we're building with Toonstar to be just that. Like, you're going to have creators, you're going to have, you know, characters, branded IP, and you're going to have fans. But for the end, it can all live together. It can live together in one place. But for the UGC in particular, it really feels like there needs to be this starting point. And the starting point for UGC is this passion, mm -hmm. you know, deep, deep affinity for some, for, for, you know, for either that to influencer or for a character, if it's, if it's branded IP and that's the starting point. And that's where that gives them sort of these, these sort of like, you know, these, it's almost a prompt and it's something to mimic or kind of imitate, or it's something to play with within the confines within the, like the construct of what's already been created for that, that sort of character and story world. So absolutely lives together in an ecosystem but i think we're learning that there's that starting point and that starting point really is the to influencer and you know the branded ip or the character and you know as far as the you know it's a really good point about the the content itself because i think the other thing we're learning is this we have this notion of we call it content engineering and content engineering really is a combination of it is, it is, it is art and this sounds cliche, but it really is. It's art and science. So it's a combination of, you know, the, the creative, but it also is the science of 
starting with something, you know, we like to say like a lot of what we do is, is, is data-based and it's starting with something that we know is working with that target. So, you know, say we're, we're doing a lot of content specifically for Gen Z. So for us, we go out and, and research and sort of a comp is the starting point. And we go, we go out and sort of look at things that are working and then say, oh, that's a cool idea. What is at the heart of that? Like, what is, you know, what is that? What is sort of the theme or sort of the essence of what makes that work? And then how can we take that and then, you know, basically tune out, you know, take, take a cartoon and then sort of do a cartoon version mm-hmm. of that, but preserve what makes it work. And that is sort of this kind, and it is part art, but part science too. So it's a kind of a combination of those two things and to be able to do it very, very quickly. And I think that's a process that we've, we've spent a good amount of time, you know, I don't know if you can say perfected yet, but we're, we're trying to, we're in the always process. In the process. We're always in the process of perfecting it. Yeah. But that's, that's yeah. something we're, we've already, we're always working on. And the live component seems to be a big piece of that, right? Like mm-hmm. Making a creator, giving them the power to produce content on the fly, right? Yeah. Open up your phone, do yeah. a quick facial capture, animate a character and comment on a situation as it's unfolding. That's so right. we've seen, you know, Twitch emerge as this just juggernaut of live video, mm-hmm. Facebook, uh, YouTube getting into the game aggressively. Why has live video captured our attention so much and, and what role will that play in the future of online video? There's nothing like the engagement level, you know, when somebody is live is, is just, it's nothing like we've, you know, like ever seen, like, there's just something about when somebody goes live and you click into a video that's live, you see people, you know, you retain people for much longer. They, they participate, you know, more readily. There is um, much more, you know, there's just like much more like emotion being captured. And, and it is really this, it's not like the live behavior that we see in the linear world. In the linear world, being mm-hmm. live is about just like you're you're watching it, you know, when it's being, you know, when it's on. And, you know, like a lot of award shows and, and sports, like yeah. that's that's very much like a live consumption <clears throat> sort of moment. But in the in this like digital mobile world, live not only means live, it means interactive. It means that you can ask a question, you can comment and say something at the person on the other side and so there is this or um there is this feeling of that you're somehow participating not just watching and and it just brings the brings the experience just so much more lean forward and there's just i think you know the 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 capturing of attention and why everyone's kind of like rallying around this like moment of like live streams are the new hotness uh, is is just that it's like I, I I know I'm sure everybody's looking at their you know data streams and going wow like look at the engagement level yeah look at how much more you're able to capture now um, you know for us we've thought about live for a long time dabbled and figured you know tried to figure out like what makes sense you know we do think that for those live moments in the live streams. Not everything is like, you know, awesome in live. And so for us, we really do think about, we think about live as this, like, you know, it should be this like moment, this event, you know, this something special, um, because you don't want to kind of get into the whole, like there, there was also, you know, at the time in which everyone was launching live and definitely when Facebook was going like 
launching their whole life thing yeah. where I felt like there was a period of live fatigue when literally everybody was just like hitting their live button to go live for no other reason than to just go live. So I think now everyone sort of scaled back and started thinking about live content. And I think, you know, we definitely, you know, think very carefully about that because live content should be something that, you know, even though it feels very much like, oh, you're just going live. It's, it's really an event because you are, presenting yourself and getting to your audiences in this much more intimate way. And, and and we really see this as like a really fantastic opportunity to eventize moments. I think that's the key point is that you're creating not only collective experiences for viewing, but now for interaction. Yeah. And if you've been playing HQ, it's interesting to, to see this uh, must view programming, right? Yes. Like 12 and six every day in our office, people are yep. gathering around their phones, playing HQ. Right. Uh, and it, it seems to me that one, that that can lead us into programming uh, yes. from the content experience. Yeah. Yes. You know, why not, why can't we produce something and distribute a minute to three minutes of it? Yeah once or twice a day yeah. and, and you know is that going to also change the types of formats in which people consume content we're not beholden to 30s and 60s anymore we can yeah. create that's yeah, right. two yeah, minute totally. uh, that's episodes right. or every episode can yeah. be a different length based yeah. on the story that needs to be told yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think i think it brings up a really good point too you talk about you know, like destination viewing and if and if you look at kind of what's happened and this this in a lot of ways is the netflix effect of, of binging and you know, linear used to be more of a destination and more of a kind of event event programming. And there was this thing of like either water cooler sort of talk about a show or event that just occurred or this kind of collective experience around watching something. And maybe not everyone's in the same room, but they're sort of watching at the same time. Mm-hmm. And a bit of that has gone away with, with, you know, Netflix and chill. But there is this, it feels like there's kind of this gap of you know in in sort of the audience experience where people still you know crave those 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 community you know sort of social experiences Mm -hmm. and live is it live is a real you know a real sort of it's it's just a real sort of triggered it's it's just a great thing to do to sort of deliver that experience Mm -hmm. so i think that is probably why we're all seeing this this kind of like rushed alive and and this this gap that it's kind of filling so it's um yeah yeah it's really interesting what what's happening yeah and they talk about you know studies that are done where they talk about the differences between millennial and gen z behavior and there's been a lot you know sort of surfaced about gen z craving and wanting more communal experiences they're like they are actually you know a generation of kids that are actually seeking to go out and have face-to-face moments in interaction because, you know, they do crave sort of like that social interaction, like Mm -hmm. the reasons to gather. Interestingly enough, they're the generation that they're the first digital, true digital natives. And it's that it's the digital natives that are, are really kind of oddly enough, recognizing that, you know, solely existing in this digital sphere without having like a moment to like really congregate and be social with other human beings. Like that's not good. I'm sorry, <laughs> second life. <laughs> but you're right. And Gen Z wants content and technology to yep. augment their social experiences, not replace it. That's right. Yes, that's right. Exactly. And, yep. and, you know, we're super, we're super excited about that because because we do think, you know, and, and I think this is comes back to the resurgence of content. Content 
has been such a way for people to, you know, it's been a thing that people bond over. It gives them, it gives them something to talk about. It gives them, you know, yeah. reason to collectively, you know, sort of say, this is, this is what I like. They identify with character. So it's, it, it facilitates that kind of like behavior and experience. So, so we really feel like, this is this is it. This is yeah. the age. Gen Z. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be the ones to usher the enlightenment period of <laughs> content once more. Let's hope so. Exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Well let's let's mix it up. I want to close out with some rapid fire questions. And the first thing I'm curious about is what prompted you guys to leave big studio cushy jobs and take the leap, right? I mean, have you always thought of yourselves as entrepreneurial spirits? What kind of pushed you to, to take that uh, that step? Probably, you know, uh, I'll speak for myself, but I, I think, you know, yes, definitely. Like I've, I've always, I've always been really just like craving that entrepreneurial speed more than anything else. Um, the variety of um, being able to kind of like experiment and test and, and move quickly onto the next thing if, you know, something's not working. And, and I think, you know, this, this space, um, I love media and, and I think the speed at which like media is changing is just like sitting in the studio, like you're sitting there and you're watching and there's just, you know, for me, there was just this feeling like being in the, those offices and, and, and watching, watching the technology, watching where it's shifting. And it like, you know, there was a moment in which you just sort of say, all right, I can continue sitting here or I've got to like move. It's, it's scary. And it's like, there's a lot of like, nobody knows what's going to happen. But I just, I think for me, I just knew that I wanted to be part of that unknown and be part of like the movement, you know, versus, versus kind of like be in the, you know, and, and again, this is not like a, you know, Hey, the studio system is bad. It's just really like, I, I wanted to very much be a part of the movement and the shift. Yeah, I, I totally, you know, completely agree. It, it's um, had a lot of the same same feelings. And I think, you know, and, and part of it is, is we were fortunate because we were working in digital media, you know, in, in big studio and working on some really cool, you know, we were essentially part of, you know, this kind of skunk works black ops team that got to got to do some some really cool stuff and see what was coming and see what was on the horizon. And I think that exposure for me was like, whoa, like this industry, there's a, there's a fundamental shift that's happening. This is a massive shift and want to be part of it. Like, you know, to, to see that, to see what was happening, to see where things were going, it just, it seemed super exciting. It's, you know, it seems like, you know, at, at that time, which, you know, I think we're both realizing is the case seemed like a huge opportunity. And it's like, wow, there's this, this big thing happening. And like Louisa, I, I just love media. Like I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a media junkie and it's just an industry that I love. And to see what was happening, it's like, wow, you really want to be part of it. And I think the other thing too, for myself is there definitely, you know, has been sort of the, like, a entrepreneurial DNA. And I think, you know, I've, I've been fortunate because I've had roles and even those roles in these big organizations were, were somewhat entrepreneurial, or I guess, you know, you call it like entrepreneurial roles mm-hmm. where got to experiment and do some, some sort of like, in a, like a lot of them were kind of like in the areas of innovation and, and sort of like, um, you know, on, on the fringe type stuff. And I think that was just, you know, that probably was 
drafting off the kind of the, the DNA, that entrepreneurial sort of interest that I had. And I think this, this feels like a very natural extension of that. So great. Yeah. What is the hardest part about being a first time founder? Every day is a learning experience. <laughs> um, every single day is a learning experience. And, and, you know, like, yeah, that's, it's hard. It's, it's hard because, you know, when you're, when you're learning stuff for the first time, every day you're you're yeah. just you're just you know getting knocked back and you're <laughs> like all right you gotta you gotta pick up and you gotta learn and you gotta you know make the next day like not make that mistake again the next day and then you make another mistake and you get knocked back so so there's a lot of like you know it's it's humbling i think that's probably <laughs> yeah. a good word for it it's a very humbling experience to realize like stepping into it is you really like have no idea what the hell you're doing, <laughs> but in a yeah. good way. Yeah. Yeah. In, a, in, in absolutely a good way. I completely agree. I, I think the other thing, very humbling. The other thing I think you learn quickly or, or we have, especially with our backgrounds too, right? So coming from, again, big studios, what are big studios? Ton of resources. Mm -hmm. So no shortage of resources. So I think the other, the other thing you learn quickly is like, whoa, you know, though, and I don't think you necessarily realize it when you're working somewhere with those kind of resources. But then when you go out, you absolutely appreciate, wow, like mm -hmm. the value of resources, the value of time and just being, you know, super efficient and effective, you know, all the time and really like a laser kind of focus on that mm -hmm. and, and doing, you know, doing a lot with a lot less. Mm -hmm. And that is something I think that we, you know, hopefully I think we've been, you know, I think we've been doing a, a pretty good job at that. Mm -hmm. um, but that's something, you, you know, for us, yeah. we, we learn, we learn pretty quickly. And, you know, the, the flip side of it too is, is you also learn, you know, when you're at a big sort of brand, sometimes I think you sort of, you underestimate the value of a big brand. Mm -hmm. And when you go out on your own, it's like, hey, you're starting a brand from scratch. Mm -hmm. And there are things you sort of become accustomed to when you walk around and you're part of a, a Warner Brothers or a Disney. <laughs> and when you're on your own, it's like, whoa, you know, that's, it's, 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 it's a little different. And maybe you had access to things you did before, not necessarily because of you, but because there was a shield, you know, on your head, right. Or on your shirt or wherever, <laughs> wherever the shield was like that sort of gave you access to a lot of things. And I think you quickly realized, wow, that was, that was kind of the power of a brand. So, and that, you know, that, that's the trade-off, but the fun part of it is we're building that brand, you know, we're building, you know, this, this next generation, you know, this next generation uh, version of what we think, you know, an animation, mm -hmm. you know, network is, and that that's something you can't, you know, it, it's just, it's an amazing opportunity. So, yeah, I find that you also, you learn so much about yourself and right? yes. you really test your limits and that discovery mm -hmm. process, is not just about the business, but it's about you. Yes. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is the impact that this city has had on your journey, because we're in this, this cultural melting pot where media and technology intersect. And I have to acknowledge that you guys must be the truest Angelinas I've ever met. Right? <laughs> you are both originally from LA. You worked in all the big studio systems as we touched on. Uh, John, you went to LMU undergrad, got your MBA from USC. Louisa, you are a two-time Bruin, so we've got all the major universities covered. Yeah. How has LA and being here for so long, being part of all of that, shaped your journey? Yeah, I think this company wouldn't exist anywhere else because... This is truly like LA is the epicenter of 
of media and and also of of animation and the talent i think the talent the resources for creators is just like un, unparalleled around here and i think you know like i i'm always and i think i you know like i I've, i know i definitely have said this before i'm blown away by the notion that la is not you know kind of like as big of like a hub for like entrepreneurship um, versus Silicon Valley, for example, because mm, it's, yeah. it's just like, like to me, it, it's such like an amazing place, such a creative place. You, you have this like great intersection of really smart tech people um, along with like really super creative, like, you know, just like more on the creative storytelling, design, art. So, so I really think the city's definitely, you know, this is the place for uh, an animation tech startup, like for, you know, media tech too. Like this is really the only place for yeah. it. It's in the DNA of the city and it is such a unique place um, for that combination of creativity and tech. And, you know, you look around, you, you do not have to go very far to, you know, to Luis's point, like th this is the home of, of animators. This is the home of, of, of creators, of talented people that want to tell stories that have amazing characters. And this is the home of that. So, you know, for, for us, when you're talking about animation, you're talking about characters, you're talking about stories, talking about creators, it is, it is, it's the perfect, it's the perfect place to be. And, you know, to, to your point too, as far as resources go, you just, you know, talked about some, you know, we're biased, but some, you know, we think great universities, um, not only, you know, just in, you know, just, you know, global, global, um, universities. So it's, that's such a great resource to have, um, you know, in, in your, in your backyard. So what does the future hold for Toonstar? What's coming next? We are pushing into some really, you know, great new shows that are coming up with, you know, great uh, tune influencers, the voice of uh, Gen Z. So we're we're really excited. You know, next year it's going to be actually a lot of um, a lot of really great shows and 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 you know char characters that are going to be coming from us um, that we're super excited about. Um, so, so I think, you know, and we're going to be pressing more into the live streaming events for, for animation, you know, I think, you know, that those are kind of like the main things that are going to be coming, um, at least, you know, like in, in just the first quarter. Yeah. You know, one of the hopes is that Toonstar also becomes this engine for, for hit animated IP. So I think for us, not only you're going to see, you're going to see next year, some, some great, cool characters in Toonstar, some really cool live streams and and some some really compelling tune influencers mm -hmm. but for us hopefully that is going to be the birthplace of mm -hmm. you know hopefully the next Rick and Morty hopefully mm -hmm. the next you know the next South Park could come from from Toonstar so i think that's something that you know we're doing a lot of work around that that hopefully that starts to emerge you know sort of next year and beyond and what about the broader digital media industry what are three predictions you have for the future of the space Oh no. <laughs> Predictions. Predictions. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I think look for look for these social media platforms to get, you know, more more, you know, embedded into the content and, and video. Like you look at Facebook's already, you know, pushed into it. Yeah. They're just gonna be putting more resources um behind it and and really, you know, it's no longer 
it's no longer, they're no, they're no longer social media and it's no longer about being social media. It's just media. And then uh, Snapchat really like Snapchat is definitely going to be um, putting its stake in the ground in um, defining, defining media in, in their platform and what that looks like. And I, and I, you know, anticipate them same in the same way that Facebook has to get really more involved in, um, in video. And we also do see these like I don't want to say smaller, just, uh, you know, platforms like the Musical.ly's probably, you know, like transform and think about, you know, how, how they move from a specific type of like video content into more like broader sort of like taste profile of like uh, video content for its audience. I really think that that's where we're definitely going to see more of that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and again, I think the, one of the benefits of, of being LA is is this is the you know global headquarters of of, of con- entertainment content. So just I think you're going to see more investment in content, mm-hmm. and because people are people are are seeing people are seeing especially what's happening in short form sort of like nano form content, mm-hmm. and believing that that really is you know you can tell story, you can build characters. Um, a lot of the traditional story elements that you see in longer form, you can do effectively. You know, you have to think about them differently, and you probably, you know, will execute them differently in some ways. But you can do that with short form and, and sort of nano form. So I think more people are seeing that. So you're going to see more investment in content, and I think you will also see more people get behind this notion of mobile media being, you know, sort of the birthplace of mm-hmm. IP and franchises, mm-hmm. and this idea that. IP is IP is very scalable. IP is you know something that you know when you talk about investments and you talk about billion dollar sort of like targets for investments, IP is something that that can deliver that. Uh, certainly platforms can as well, but but that's something where I think more people are realizing wow, like you know content is something that's capable of that. So yeah, I think I think you'll see more more investment and sort of more focus on that. Lots to look forward to. If you were starting a business in the online video space today, what would you do? <laughs> That's a trick question. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would probably look at really look at more like niche markets. I think that's probably one area where we see, you know, still probably not enough catering to like niche markets for content consumption. And, and I think, you know, you can look at it a lot of the, the, the successes that we've seen online, kind of like the sort of, I say the, the first version of all of like the different MCNs and things, the most successful ones have catered to a very, very specific um, demo taste profile type of content. You know, like I would say, awesomeness is a really good example of that. They were very hyper-focused against a specific audience. You know, you look at, uh, you know, the BuzzFeed, the underneath BuzzFeed, Tasty has been the most successful, um, you know, as late in, in their yeah. kind of like um, in their portfolio. And it's because they were, you know, going after one very specific vertical. So I think, you know, specific niche verticals and, and being really being more hyper focused in super serving that specific audience. That's really I think that's really the area of opportunity is to to pick an audience, pick a target, pick a type of content and really go into that and right. super serve. We always talk about go deep before you go wide. That's yeah, right. it's really important. Are there specific segments that you feel are underserved today? I think, you know, I guess from a story, I think from a story standpoint, I think 
like diverse, diverse yeah. sort of like maybe like you know diversified storytelling is probably one area that yeah. I think online and digital content can probably serve better than I think the mainstream media is. They they can probably do better than mainstream media right now. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think that's going back to about sort of the you know the, the big studio dynamic and, and the kind of content that's getting created. Those, you know, super, you know, right now sort of super niche types of content mm-hmm. aren't getting the love from, from that sort of big legacy system, mm-hmm. primarily because the economics, again, going back to their system of, you know, you have to have these tentpole, tentpole successes to pay the bills. Those inherently right now, the economics don't work out. Mm-hmm. So those are things that aren't getting love and, you know, they're, some some great care amazing characters amazing stories mm-hmm. and there are audiences that you know really really want to have the have those kind of stories mm-hmm. so yeah i agree like, i think that's something that is a big is a big opportunity where can people find out more about you and more about toonstar we're online uh we're on twitter if you go to our uh facebook page you can always reach us facebook messenger there linkedin linkedin yep yes we're kind of all over the digital sphere yeah we're all yeah any 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 social yeah, yeah social platform you can you can reach us or go hang out you at can, the blue can, bottle in right, downtown exactly, exactly, yeah. we'll be hanging out there. there a couple times yes. a day yeah totally <laughs> yeah. yeah well and we also encourage people to download the app get toonstar play around with it please yeah it's yes. a lot of fun yes, yes. thank you yeah yeah yeah, sure. yeah definitely cool. yeah we, we definitely encourage that <laughs> <laughs> yeah go yeah down, download yeah it's a lot of fun yeah. and you know there's there's some great characters on there there's some really fun animated shorts that are on there yeah. um there're going to be some great you know cartoon live streams happening yeah. and uh any you know, fun holiday surprises coming up for us uh well you will have to tune in mm. early next year early to next see year. all the really fun characters that's coming that's coming your way yeah yeah, yes. we do and have if, one character that's out. We've got yeah, Dingles. Dingles, Dingles is out there right now. So he's he's the anti Elf on the Shelf. Anti Elf on the Shelf. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So everything that Elf on the Shelf is not, that is Dingles. Mm-hmm. Yes. We will just so, leave it at that. <laughs> yes. yes. We'll have to go find out more. Check it out right there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you both for making this happen. Great to see you. Uh, loved learning a little bit more about your backgrounds and really the evolution, the story behind Toonstar and the opportunity with animation. It's phenomenal. So thanks again. It's been so much fun. Thank you for having us. Thanks thanks a lot for having us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time. Mm